pro-terror protesters take to the streets to denounce Israel and advocate for the terror organization that brutalized Israeli Jews and the White House cautions against Islamophobia. If you're disgusted, I agree. If you're surprised, well, you haven't been paying attention. The show starts now. level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel? So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so I uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly, President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab, Arab Americans and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. Well, after that train wreck of a response to a question about anti-Semitism, wherein, as you just heard, KJP pivoted to the threat of Islamophobia, KJP was forced to readdress the issue yesterday and this time actually address the group of people being targeted, the Jewish people. Give it another go, Corrine. All right. I want to make something clear uh, at the top because I understand how important uh, moral clarity is, especially at this time. So when Jews are targeted because of their beliefs or their identity, when Israel is singled out because of anti-Jewish hatred, that is anti-Semitism and that is unacceptable. There's no place for anti-Semitism, full stop, period. Better late than never, I suppose. But the fact that she stood there on Monday after literally weeks of pro-Hamas, anti-Israel, anti-Jewish protests and said there haven't been any credible threats against the Jewish population is either ignorance or willful ignorance on her part. And it harkens back to another era the Obama era, when President Bio couldn't even bring himself to say the words radical Islamic terror. And when his entire administration, including Hillary, of course, blamed the Benghazi terror attack on an offensive YouTube video, knowing full well that was BS. I guess those days are back, and so is Barack, because in response to Israel's Hamas response, the former president released a lengthy statement in which he thankfully denounced the terror attack on Israel, but went on to call, call for Israel to show restraint, saying that Israel's actions could, quote, further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations, erode global support for Israel, play into the hands of Israel's enemies, and undermine long-term efforts to achieve peace and stability in the region, end quote. <laughs> Here's a little newsflash, Bobo. The people in Gaza are born chanting death to Jews and death to America. They also elected Hamas to represent them. They were already hardened. This ceasefire drumbeat is infuriating to me. Hamas did this, Hamas started this, and now that Israel is responding, leftists ask Israel to stand down or ceasefire? That's not how this works. You don't get to mount a terror insurgency and then step back and call for your victims to show restraint. Is that what these protesters across America and around the world are calling for? Or do they really even have a clue? Because when I see signs like this, I am more apt to believe these idiots are just out there holding these signs to get a break from video games in mom's basement. You know, I'm noticing a lot of these people protesting for Palestine and Hamas are the usual suspects. Pasty white, they-thems with green hair and face diapers. 
Today's college green hairs are protesting for tampons in the men's restroom one day and for terrorist organizations that would push them off a building the next. Liberalism is a disease. But don't get me wrong, there are plenty of protesters on the street who are evil and fully understand what they're advocating for. Perhaps allowing millions of people into our country that hate us and want to kill us wasn't the best move. But I bet my next guest has quite the reaction to all of this. Joining me now is former SEAL Team 6 member and host of The Operator with Rob O'Neill. Rob O'Neill. Rob, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tommy. Great to be with you. So, Rob, when you took out Osama bin Laden on May 2nd of 2011, did you think that just 12 years later you'd see so many Americans right here in this country advocating for Islamic terror groups? Uh, at the time, no. It was something where uh, everyone in the coalition came forward uh, um, as far as uh, the intel we gathered, the team that flew us in, the team that got on the ground. And it seemed like a big win for the good old US of A and the, and the coalition. Uh, it shouldn't surprise me the way some of these people act on campuses, but like you were saying, it's just the same people. One day they're Occupy Wall Street, then they're BLM, then they're Antifa, and now they're this. And I don't think, I mean, I know they're not educated. And I, you know, I don't have a college degree, but I've been to about 70 countries. I've seen a lot of stuff. They, they don't realize all the stuff for which they advocated something that would get them thrown off a building in uh, the Gaza Strip. Everything that they stand for, Hamas hates. Like in some some places that I've been, um, women will get killed in a very bad way by getting stoned to death simply because they left the house without their husband or a close male relative. They, they're totally anti-LGBTQ. They're anti-gay. They're anti uh, women doing anything from education to sports. They really wouldn't want men competing in women's sports like we love here. I don't think a lot of these people really know what the hell they're talking about. And it's, um, you know, having been on the bin Laden raid and fought in a couple different wars for a long, long time, it's just, it's crazy to see the way a lot of, especially college students who claim to be, uh, will be our next leadership. But I don't know how far you're going to get with a fat studies course or gender identity <laughs> course. Yeah. You know, like I said, uh, tampons in the men's restroom one day and then free Palestine the next. Uh, one of the favorite signs that I saw at one of these protests were reproductive rights are Palestinian rights. Again, I'm not sure they understand. Queers for Palestine, another great one. Um, I don't know if they can't read or maybe they just can't think. I don't know if their pumps so full of hormones that they're just not understanding. Maybe that's part of this. But then there's another side of this coin like I addressed in my opening, and that's people that actually do know what they're advocating for, and they are evil. You know, we've got a congresswoman, a sitting congresswoman that's out there calling for an investigation because she has quadrupled down on Israel being the one that bombed the parking lot in Gaza. And so it doesn't surprise me that we have so much evil in this country. We've been welcoming it for years. But as somebody who's fought overseas against terrorism, what is the solution to fighting terrorism or terrorist sympathizers right here on our home soil? One of the biggest problems I've seen is you only know what you're taught. And a lot of these people are taught to hate from a very early age. And if you're all you know is hate and killing, that's what you're going to do. And uh, unfortunately, some of these people like uh, Rashida Tlaib and um, Ilhan Omar, they're over here. And a lot of their constituents are over here because of stuff that Bill Clinton did during the early 90s with Somalia. They're just like they want to do with Palestinians right now. They want to bring a million refugees here. For some reason, everywhere we are, we want to bring more here. And, and a lot of that's political because some in office know that eventually when they can vote and right now, you can vote illegally or just not even show up and fill out a couple uh, mail-in ballots. But that happened there. And then you get you get some of the worst of the worst in there just because of you know everything from some of their constituents um, 
to vote for them, but also because of ballot harvesting. You pay enough people to go around and do the stuff that they did. And right, I mean, right now it's not the, I mean, there are bad people coming in, but you can't just say like Islam's the problem. It's Marxism that's the problem. And that's the people that said eventually they're going to take over Hollywood, take over the education in the universities. Those are the people teaching in the universities. And and for some reason, even, even some people in the mainstream media who are smart, they're they're doing something for some reason. Someone's getting paid off somewhere, whether it's uh, you know, with the Bidenomics, the the back way where you can get a house paid for because you got a, a loan repayment, even though you don't produce anything except your name in politics, stuff like that. The Marxism are the problem. And they they love the chaos here. They hate Israel. And uh, they're the people like the, the mullahs in Iran and then obviously the, the communists everywhere else. They can use Hamas as their tool. Hamas is horrible. They're horrible. They're they're worse than savages. But but, you know, it's it's the whole uh, the global one community that's in charge that, that run Davos once a year in their private jets um, that, that use stuff like this. And it, there's a lot more behind it. Right. No, I agree. I mean, there's certainly a new axis of evil that's forming and very quickly. And meanwhile, we are focused on pronouns. But you brought up a good point about the people that are here and the people that hate America, as we've been discussing. A lot of those people are non-citizens or they're here on student visas. I want you to take a listen to what Governor Ron DeSantis said uh, about what he would do in that position. Let's take a listen. And I think what this terrorist attack in Israel has shown us is we're vulnerable from all the people that have come illegally because they have come from Iran, too. It's not just Mexico, yes. Central America, Russia, China, Middle East, all that stuff. But I think what we also saw when the blood wasn't even dry on the Israelis who had been massacred, you had people in America going out protesting in favor of Hamas. Yes. And that's like very chilling. Some of these people are not U.S. citizens. They're student visas. So as president... If you're on a student visa and you're a foreigner and you're out there celebrating terrorism, I'm canceling your visa and I'm sending you home. So, Rob, I, I love free speech and I love the First Amendment. I kind of draw the line, though, at non-citizens yeah. who are advocating for terrorism. And I think Ron DeSantis is exactly right. You want to do that in the United States of America? You can go home. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts exactly. I agree with free speech and speech that you don't like should be protected. Having said that, if you're defending Hamas, Al-Qaeda or ISIS, things like that, or you're coming here just to destroy the country, uh, yeah, get rid of them. I mean, we, you, know, you know a good place to start? There's some really good real estate in Manhattan where the UN is. We should move the UN off of uh, our land and throw that in the in the West Bank or in Gaza Strip. Get rid of those fools first, plus the traffic would get better. And then all the criminals coming up, just give them flights down to the southern tip of Chile, let them deal with that. And then, uh, you know, we're giving about almost $2 billion a year to Jordan and Egypt. They're not helping at all. Stop that stuff right there. I got a laundry list of stuff that we could get done. We could handle the homeless crisis just by sending them somewhere else and get rid of the UN. A of land there. Yeah, you're exactly right. I want to get your perspective as somebody who spent the majority of your life fighting for this country, fighting against terrorists all over the world. When we're looking at now the idea of a World War III or the possibility that what's going on with Israel right now is going to expand, Iran's going to get involved, then we might have to get involved. Do you think that's the right path for the United States to go down? Are we going to try to fight this fight against terrorism and also nation build at the same time? Are we going to do Afghanistan and Iraq all over again? Well, nation building needs to be out of the question if we're going to use the military. The military is there to destroy things. We're here because of policies, too. I mean, everything from Afghanistan, we we messed that up in Iraq up because we're trying to rebuild nations when we shouldn't be doing it. But one of our things as a military is a deterrent. We've proven pulling out of two wars that we don't need, they don't need to be afraid of us. You're seeing Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, they're coming back into the fray because, well, they actually know that uh, they have about a year to do whatever they want. So we're on the brink of World War III. We might even be in it as far as uh, what we're doing ideologically. Um, we can still win it. I mean, we, you, I can prove we're the good guys because uh, we as the United States, 
uh, Great Britain and Israel haven't taken over the world yet, which we could militarily, but we're the good guys, fortunately. Uh, but it is coming here, and they're doing it the ways they want to. It, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. I know because of our open border, no border security, that the sleeper cells from many different countries, many different terrorist organizations are here. And that's going to be the issue if a big military thing happens. I'm concerned about some of these sleeper cells hitting bases here, because if I'm a sailor on a ship helping with the cat shot to get a jet uh, and my family's getting attacked in Norfolk or San Diego. I'm not thinking about my job anymore. I want to get home. And unfortunately, a lot of these enemies out there are very, very smart. And they're thinking tactically when we're worried about, let's make sure we have a bunch of different kinds of bedrooms on a, or ba bathrooms on a submarine because we're not sure if uh, one day the skipper's a male or a female, so he or she should be able to use that one. <laughs> Instead of, uh, do we have enough in the strategic oil reserve? Do we have enough missiles? Have we given them all to Ukraine? What's going on there? And, and uh, you know, the deterrence is a big one, and we really don't have that right now, especially with someone who goes to the beach every weekend instead of the Oval Office and is in bed every night by six. That's true. That's very true. You know, I asked this of Tim Kennedy the other day, and I'm curious your reaction to it as somebody who's also obviously a very successful operator. When you look at the young people today, I mean, the green hairs and the they thems aside, but when you look at the collective of young people who might want to go through buds, might want to be a Navy SEAL, might want to be a Green Beret or a Ranger or a Marine or just join the military. Do you think in five to 10 years, the crop of people coming through the military, if we have any willing to sign up at all, do you think that they're going to be ready to fight the fight that you fought at the level that you fought it? I, I think so, and I'm optimistic. I'm fortunate that I get to travel a lot around the country, and I speak to everyone from NFL teams, high school kids, to uh, different uh, industries, and we do have great people out there. The problem's going to come in with the weakness in senior leadership, where if we can't get everyone through the training, instead of you know getting them up to standard, we'll just lower the standards and make it easier. Some of the best advice I give to people is that you can do whatever you want, but you got to do the work. Just because someone that you think is tough or quits doesn't mean you need to quit. Let them do it and stop feeling bad about it. But the victim mentality that we're giving to everyone that I really want this. I don't want to work for it, but I'll scream for it. I'll yell as loud as I can. That's part of the issue. And then the senior leadership just bowing down to whatever. And um, that's part of the problem. A lot of great people like uh, Army Rangers. I know some SEALs, Tim Kennedy, uh, uh, SF snipers. They get out simply because the leadership's horrible and they're spending time wasting money on different things as far as command climate. And how does this make you feel as opposed to realize, look, you don't need to be asked to do something. You can be told to do something. And I am optimistic we have very strong men and women out there. I'm just hoping the leadership doesn't cave because there's a certain point, especially in the military, when you get to a, a high enough rank, it turns political. And then that general or admiral is concerned about what job they're going to get with a government contractor or in politics itself. Instead of you know talking to the junior guy who's been in the Marine Corps for three years, what's going on in the ground and what should we be doing? Yes, the answer is we are ready for it, but I don't want to see us going down the same slope of wokeness, political correctness, and cancel culture. You know, I remember, I think it was maybe four or five years ago, there was a lot of discussion about opening up, you know, the, the Navy SEAL teams to women. And then it quickly turned into, we don't even know what a woman is, so I guess it's a woman uh, transgender. I I'm not sure. But, you know, your take on that and the social experiment that unfortunately is being pushed on the military has been being pushed for several years, but it feels like we're closer than ever to a real social experiment in the military. You know, those entities aside, what people want to do on their own time aside, is the military the place for this kind of social experiment? No. Should women be serving in, on the SEAL teams? Should transgenders be on the front lines? And, and if not, why not? The only people who really didn't care when I was in, you know, over 10 years ago, the only people who didn't care about that kind of stuff were the people who were in the field. We didn't care 
about gender. We didn't care about race. It, the bottom line, and we like to keep it simple. That's one of our acronyms is KISS. Keep it simple, stupid, meaning I'm stupid, so keep it simple so I can figure it out. Uh, can someone that I'm with on the battlefield carry me, my gun, and my gear out of the battlefield if I get shot, period? That's all. I don't care about anything else. I've met women who can beat my ass that are you know really good at jujitsu. I've met triathletes, different people from different places. That all that other uh, you know feely good stuff doesn't matter. Can you do the job? Fine. It's equal opportunity. You have an equal opportunity to show up. If you can't pass the standards, you're not welcome. It's that simple. It's not like I don't like you. You just can't be here. And it's you know when when the bullets are flying every different way, including from uh, an urban terrain from up high from suicide drones, you're not going to care about the bathroom you're using. Frankly, a lot of these people that are making the decision would use the bathroom in their pants if they ever got shot at. <laughs> no, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of people too that that know that if they're in the military and they decide to transition, that a lot of the tab for that is picked up by the good old U.S. taxpayer dollar. So I think that's motivating some of this discussion. But it's it's interesting how quickly some of these people no longer want to be involved as we're edging closer to maybe actual boots on the ground and U.S. involvement. Though we know there are really wars going on around the world every single day of the week that we don't hear about being done and carried out by operators and defense contractors who are doing a lot of the work right now, or at least have been. Last thing I want to ask you about is something you mentioned earlier, and I want your take. Ukraine. Um, I'm one of those people in the firm camp of it's been long enough. We've been funding them long enough. They can't win the battle on their own. And as much as Russia is a threat, I don't know if Ukraine um, pushing Russia back at what expense is that going to take and is it worth it? Um, and I want your take on that. Do you think this Ukraine endeavor and the money we're sending over more than we're sending to Israel, by the way, by the president's request, is this worthwhile for the United States? I think Ukraine's a different animal than Israel, and we don't have enough uh, footage of what's going on there exactly. I've been to Ukraine. I went to Ukraine like in 1998, uh, and I had a great time because the government I was working with was corrupt. And I would have told you two years ago, what's the most corrupt country uh, in Europe, at least? I would have said Ukraine. Uh, and there's a lot of shady deals that went on with a lot of people in this government right now, not just this administration, but there's a lot of senators around there that were senators together. Some of them went on to different places. And a lot of money goes into Ukraine. It gets washed someplace, and then it gets thrown off a uh, uh, somewhere near the Caribbean here or whatnot. So, um, you know, I, and again, the, the the innocent people that are dying there, it's horrible. War is horrible. But there's people in high places making decisions. And we, as Americans, the taxpayers, should not be funding whatever's going on. If we are, we need a return on our investment. And that should start with maybe, I don't know, the Pentagon getting a, an audit correct ever. Uh, they're, they're doing stuff like the $800 toilet seats and the $50 pens and things like that. They, the, the, our government can't even decide where we're sending the money. If we're sending it to Ukraine to never see it again, I mean, all we can be sure of is that President Zelensky's wife is wearing some really nice Gucci gear that she buys in Manhattan when they come here. And if you notice, uh, just throwing this in there, just a level of respect, when uh, President Zelensky came to the White House when Donald Trump was in office, he wore a suit and tie because that's how you roll. When you're meeting with the president, when you're having dinner in D.C., suit and tie. Nowadays, it's like, whatever, he shows up in a tracksuit. We got Fed you know, no disrespect to hoodies. I'm wearing one right now, but I'm in my studio. But uh, you can just tell the no one's really uh, accountable for anything. And the only pe people spending all of our money are the people that they, they the, the government, they make sure the only thing they can vote on, they can't even vote on a speaker is they make sure they get their raise whenever they need it, don't they? Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of people currently running for president. Uh, I won't name names. Nikki Haley. Uh, she loves the military industrial complex. I call her Miss U.S. military industrial complex. She wins that pageant every time. 
you know, she seems to always be gunning for something. I support mm-hmm. Israel. I support Israel's endeavor. I do believe that they need our support. But I'm more on the camp of Ron DeSantis that said this is Israel's war. Let them fight it with our support. And Ukraine, uh, this has been going on long enough. So when I see people like Nikki Haley get so impassioned when talking about Ukraine, more so than when talking about anything in the United States, that tells me it's a giant red flag and I don't want her in the Oval Office. So last question for you, speaking of 2024, uh, is there a candidate on the Republican side that you would like to see be our nominee? Um, I'm trying to be a realist here and, and just with the way the Marxists and the communists are handled Donald Trump, it's pretty obvious he's going to be the nominee and he's the guy that America wants because what, uh, communists do is they try to put you in jail, obviously. And well, I mean, he's lucky he has secret service around him because God knows what else they would try to do to him. I'm happy with a lot of the candidates. Uh, Nikki Haley strikes me as a, uh, one of those people who's never been to war, but they're called a war hawk. Like whenever you hear someone, what red flags for me are when someone says, uh, now we've been very clear or they use the word resistance. That's all a bunch of BS to me. Um, I like, uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, I, I love Ron DeSantis. Um, I think that this is Trump's time. And, and uh, every time I ask someone, I ask them all the time, I have friends who are on the left, I ask them, okay, other than he's mean, what don't you like about his policies? Never get an answer. But would those same people ever vote for him? Well, that's the problem, too. They say no, because uh, something that I hear all the time is I just can't vote Republican. And, I, you know, I'm not a Republican either. I'm, a, I'm an independent. I'm an American. Uh, and the, the problem, if you start saying you can or can't vote for someone based on the letter next to their name as opposed to issue by issue, which is not surprising because that's the way Congress does it. They don't vote on issues. They do stuff behind closed doors with a bunch of pork in it. Um, it's it's uh, it needs to be broken down. And people really need to understand when when, you know, you have someone in the White House right now that tells you, no, don't believe that milk's more expensive. Believe me, not not yourself. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the two party system is basically the one party system. Donald Trump went into D.C. He showed everyone that he showed that the swamp is real. And it also has fangs. I mean, look at all these people right now turning on it because they've been just like communists. They, they are getting um, if you don't do this now, we're going to destroy you and your family. You're going to be in jail forever. Or you can just say you're guilty and cry the entire time as we read this uh, hostage statement that we prepared for you, just like they wouldn't, you know, in the Hanoi Hilton. Yeah. No, I agree. I have concerns about 2024. I think one thing is clear. We must win. And I want the candidate that's going to bring home the W. And I think right now, as much as that R for Republican turns people off, unfortunately, living in the real world, that T for Trump, I think, turns off more people. And that is my concern as somebody who supports Donald Trump, thinks he's the greatest president, certainly of my lifetime. I do think we need to be mission focused and just get Joe out of office or Gavin Newsom because it's looking like, you know, he's in China right now. It's looking like he's probably going to be their nominee, probably even worse than Joe. But Rob, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You speak quickly like me, and I always appreciate that. (laughs) And you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Anytime. And I wasn't worried. I knew at least you would understand me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You and I on the same page. Thank you so much. And please come back. Thanks, Tommy. So Democrats might be shady, slimy, and shifty, but at least they're loyal to one another and their cause. When it comes to self-sabotage, they may have really shot themselves in the foot with Joe and Kamala, but they've got nothing on Republicans who, until today, couldn't even decide on a Speaker of the House. As much as I'd like to chastise the rhino establishment types who are backing Tom Emmer types, well, the person who really chaps my behind is the one who started the disaster Matt Gates. So Gates led the charge to oust McCarthy, and that left a weeks-long vacancy. What a win for Mega, huh? 
Here's a big part of the problem. Half of our elected Republicans hate Trump and the other half wish they were Trump and try to be Trump, and both segments are equally as annoying. The GOP will never go back to the pre-Trump days of McCain, Bush, and Romney, but we also can't sit here in mega limbo and fixate on Donald Trump as the center of the universe. A lot of only Trump Republicans believe we can win elections on mega alone and apparently learn nothing from the 2022 midterms. Mega isn't enough, and establishment type sure as hell aren't enough either. If we don't bridge the gap between the two, we will lose and keep on losing. Joining me now with his take on it all is Versus Media Live podcast host, Stephen Miller. Stephen, great to have you on what is, thank goodness, uh, a win for the Republican Party today. I don't know if you can really call it that, because I guess at the end of the circus, we get a celebration, but what a circus it was. Yeah, you you kind of hit it in your in your opening statement there. You have one party that's dedicated and unified to a message, and you have one that's kind of dedicated to a man, to one person. And so, I mean, Johnson just kind of wins the war of attrition here. He's they're just tired. It's a three week fight. I guess he's unassuming. Uh, he just had Matt Gates call him MAGA Mike. That's going to stick either way, negative or positive. And so, I, I think that that's just really where we are. And I guess we'll see where we go from here. I'll tell you what frustrated me this week. Uh, Matt Gates frustrates me and has frustrated me. I like a lot of his policies. Don't get me wrong. I don't like him as a person. I don't like his attitude. I don't like his bravado. I find him to be hollow. Um, he's just, I'm just not a big fan of him, although I do like a lot of what he advocates for. But I will say this. This is what frustrates me. You know, a couple weeks back, we were still in that limbo land of, of Donald Trump's going to be the speaker for a few weeks and make ourselves look even more ridiculous. But Matt Gates saying this week, well, you know, we, we can't have Emmer because Trump said no, but Trump once said that Tom Emmer was fantastic and advocated for him, endorsed him even. So this whole thing of like whatever way the wind blows and whatever mood Donald Trump is feeling that day should be the only guiding force of what should be just an America first movement. That really frustrates me. And it's not even so much on the Trump side. It's more on the Matt Gates side of things. What's your take on that? Uh, I think you and a lot of other people are learning a lesson of what I call don't careism, which is you frustrate you when, like you said, it's he believes one thing one day and then the next it's another truth post and then the next it's a different truth post and whatever. And as someone who's just kind of been doing this since pre-2016, you're learning that a, a lot of this is they just don't care and there's almost no getting through to them. And until the party learns to maybe move on with a different message or a similar message to Trump, but maybe a different, more electable messenger, that's pretty much how it's going to go. So, I, you know, I wish I could predict how the next year is going to shake out. I can't. Um, but this is a big lesson I think people are learning is they, they just this wing of the party just does not care. They will just follow anything that this guy says. And we've learned and you noted that that's learned that's leaned into electoral ruin pretty much not just since 2020, but since 2018 and beyond. And of course, the, the 2022 midterms. And so. You know, does that mean that he's not electable in 2024? Biden's not doing a great job of keeping things together at the moment. But um, that's how I would describe it. Your your frustrations, I think, are shared by other people. And uh, at the end of the day, you just kind of say they just don't care. And I know that that's a hard truth, but that's kind of where they're at. Yeah, I think a lot of these people care, but they care about themselves. They care about right. their their future political careers. They care about the spotlight that's falling upon them and their new veneers. And that's what really bothers me. Donald Trump <laughs> is Donald Trump. 
He didn't start out as a politician. He started out as a real estate developer and a celebrity. So that was his actual job. And then he became a politician. A lot of these politicians are now trying to become reality stars and celebrities. And they're missing the extra sauce that Donald Trump has, but they're sure trying to get there. And the frustration of that is really wearing on me. It's really, you know, in my crawl, so to speak. But do you think looking... Go ahead. Trumpism, Trumpism has yet to transfer beyond Trump. Trumpism works with Trump, but it's very rarely, if ever, been successful when someone else has tried it. And I think that that's another hard truth that people are learning. Yeah, and we have to be able to exist uh, one way or another beyond just Donald Trump. Even if Donald Trump's your choice for 2024, at some point, he's not going to be the inevitable because he simply won't be able to be the inevitable. So that's part of the problem, (laughs) the frustration that I have. But, you know, just looking at this, um, I look at things as if I were just an independent voter who was undecided. And when I look at the Republican Party and I look at the mess of weeks-long vacancies, I look back to when we couldn't decide on a speaker in the first place, and then we got McCarthy, and then we were making some traction into the impeachment inquiry, kind of uncovering some of the Biden family dealings, and then all of a sudden another wrench in the machine with ousting McCarthy, and then going after Jim Jordan, and then sabotaging Jim Jordan, and then the Tom Emmer, and then now we're with the Mike Johnson. As If I was looking at this as somebody who was an undecided independent voter in 2024, I would look at the Republican Party and say it looks rather unstable, and I'm not sure I want to go that route. Do you think we're playing with fire with the hearts and minds of independents who up until this, we probably would have won just based on Democrat policy alone. Yeah, it looks it looks like ungoverning dysfunction. I mean, just to just to the the lamest of voters out there who don't really pay attention to these things until you know next year sometime. Um, I think it looks like unequivocal dysfunction. I don't think that there's an easy way to put that. And you're right, you were on track with an impeachment hearing. You were on track, you know, with several of these items leading to Joe Biden and his businesses with his son, and that's all derailed. And then what's derailed that more? And I think that what illuminates how unserious that faction of the party is, is now you have a full breakout war in the Middle East where, yeah, Biden's policies are feckless and he looks ineffective and he looks disinterested. And yet you look across the aisle and hear all these guys having a slap fight with one another going six ways. And I do think that that is something that possibly we'll see in a few months. We'll see where we are. But that is certainly something I think voters look at. I think it is, too. And what worries me is exactly what you said there. I think in 2020, regardless of what you think about that election, we all have our own thoughts about how that went down. But there were a lot of voters out there that voted for Biden because they felt like he was going to be a stabilizing factor. They were sick of the circus of Donald Trump, even if they liked his policies, and they wanted somebody that came off a little bit more stable. Now, I think that was ridiculous because the man is actually physically unable to stabilize himself. But a lot of people voted for him in 2020 because they thought that he was going to be this unifier or maybe just maybe a little bit more milk toast and they wanted that. So I'm looking at 2024 with maybe, you know, a war in the Middle East again. You're looking at the endless funding of Ukraine. You're looking at the United States and millions of illegal immigrants. You're looking at third world countries within the United States and San Francisco and L.A. and Chicago looking disgusting. And I think that there's going to be voters out there who don't think Democrats did a good job, but they're very concerned about descending into the chaos that a Donald Trump would bring, even if it's just in Washington, D.C., because they're going to fight him tooth and nail. 
So what do you think, if you were to get into the mind of this casual voter leading up to 2024, what do you think Republicans do to look more attractive? <laughs> I would hope that they just elect a speaker and then just go away for a while. Just <laughs> go back into conference rooms. Just just get away from this noise. Go pretend you're working on some kind of budgetary spending cuts or something and just get out of the way. If the election is a referendum on Trump, most likely they lose. If you make it about Biden, who, you know, like you said, was elected on empathy and competence and showed pretty much with Afghanistan that he had neither of those things. Um, if you make the referendum on this and, sh and just show how much the world is just coming apart right now and how quickly it came apart, all of those gains, the Abram Accords that were made with Saudi Arabia and Israel, th that those look gone now. And we really do look like we're back to kind of like a 2011, 2012, you know, quagmire of Afghanistan and Iraq. It just happens to be Ukraine and now Israel. And so I would, like I said, I would hope that they just get this circus over with, pack up the tents for a few months and just go away. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that's going to be really hard for some of the folks who really love to be on television. <laughs> There's fundraising to think about and, you know, maybe a Florida governor run in there for, for Gates. So that should oh. be fun. Maybe he can get some Democrat support for that one. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I wish anybody looked at me the way Ilhan Omar looked at Matt Gates, But, you know, weird. Bizarre, especially she, she, where we she, sit she now. Was licking, she was licking her lips at Matt Gates like an Israeli hostage. She was all over that guy. Yeah, it, that, and I still don't understand it. It's very bizarre to me. But, you know, what do you make of the, the slight rise? I'll call it a slight rise in the polls for Nikki Haley. Um, I don't know if the Democrats now or maybe just Republicans have an appetite for the military industrial complex because it really has been through all of this that she has had an uptick in her poll numbers. Uh, as you can tell, I'm not a fan, but do you think that she's actually going to be a real contender in this? You know, to me, it's always been a DeSantis versus Trump nomination, but does Nikki Haley have what it takes to maybe cause an upset? though that makes me physically ill to think about. Uh, I mean, to put it in perspective, she was the she was the first candidate to announce against Trump, and she's pretty much moved three or four percent in that amount of time. So an uptick, I would say, is is accurate, but I wouldn't say it's completely notable. And we get reports of donors jumping from DeSantis to uh, to Haley. And now we're open. You know, you have George Will saying clear the decks for for Nikki Haley. And I do think that she would be she is a competent option in this race. Um, I think she's a pre-Trump Republican. And what that means is somebody who doesn't necessarily understand the fight that you have to have with the media complex that's out there that is going to prevent you uh, from winning any election just by painting you as someone who's worse than Trump. And, you know, they're going easy on her now. And, you know, Jake Tapper's given her the star treatment. But we know that the second she gets that nomination, it's going to be you worked for Trump and you were the U.N. ambassador under Trump, and you're no different than MAGA or anything like that. And so I wish she had a little bit more awareness of that. I, you know, I get that she's trying to get up in the race a bit. So maybe you have to cater to CNN's audience. Um, I think DeSantis is a little bit more clever on this front and he's a post-Trump Republican. So uh, again, there is a little bit of an uptick there, but I also think as the race kind of starts to thin out, which it will, you know, as we get into December and as we get to Iowa, um, some more things are going to get revealed. You're going to hear more arguments and people are going to fall and people are going to rise. And that's just where we are. And, and ultimately, none of it might matter if Trump is the nominee anyway. Yeah.
Well, I'll tell you this. Over the last several weeks, really since the hurricane in Florida, I think Ron DeSantis has whatever struggles he was having with his campaigning, I think he's more than made up for. I think he looks like somebody who follows through on what he says. He is America first. He's Trump-like in many of the ways that Trump supporters like, but he also appears level-headed, intelligent. And to me, the way that he speaks, it's a grounding force. It's a comforting force. It might be to some boring, but I am yearning for boring right now. I'm yearning for boring competent, and I'm looking for somebody who can execute. And to me, that's Ron DeSantis. Leading into, in the next couple of weeks, debate number three, it looks like as of now, I think only three are qualified. Christie, maybe, but it looks like it's just Vivek, DeSantis, and Nikki Haley. Do you think this third debate, although it still is not going to have Donald Trump in it, do you think it's going to matter in terms of the independent voter, the Republican voter, do you think people are watching, Republicans are watching, and it might tip the scales in any direction? Uh, two weeks ago, I would have said probably not. I think we're still, because we're still still so far out from Iowa in February, but uh, a lot has happened in the world and in this country in the last two weeks. And I think that that has superseded just about anything else that we can be talking about. I think the events in Israel and the massacre by Hamas and the media's response, and now you're seeing campus insanity and rampant anti-Semitism. I think whoever draws the clearest conscience on that is probably gonna get a little bit of more of a boost. And so, yeah, I mean, two weeks ago, I would have said you're still three into these debates or whatever. I think the events of the last two weeks have to be clarifying. There has to be moral clarity here. And as I wrote, uh, I wrote Spectator that so far, the only person that I've seen demonstrate, you know, with the flights out of Israel and, you know, presidential moral action is DeSantis. That doesn't mean that somebody like Haley's not competent to do the same, but I've only seen one person behave like a president. And that goes between Biden, Trump and DeSantis in the last two weeks. I agree with you. And that was a fantastic article. I, I really appreciate you writing it. I appreciate you taking the time today. You know, let's just hope that we are headed for some, even a tiny, small little red wave in 2024. It's not going to be a tsunami, but even just a little wave instead of a red wedding would make me happy and give me some hope for the country. Stephen, I appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tommy. Anytime. All right. The Bidens aren't the only ones cozying up to the Chinese Communist Party. California Governor Gavin Newsom has also decided to get some skin in that game. It's time for Final Thoughts. Anxious to see how China sustains communism, California Governor Gavin Newsom decided to embark on a week-long adventure to the country. Besides learning about communism from its pioneers, Gavin also hopes to boost ties between his state and the CCP. He also hopes to advance discussions on California state religion, climate change. Newsom signed five memorandums of understanding while in the country. California and China have always worked closely together, given China is California's largest trading partner. In 2020, Gavin also blessed the originator of COVID with nearly a billion in taxpayer dollars to purchase face masks, which makes total sense because that deal combined three of his favorite things, communism, wasting taxpayer dollars, and face diapers. Important to note that until last month, California had a state travel ban in place for 26 U.S. states Democrats deemed unfriendly to LGBTQ issues. China, though, while not exactly known for a stellar record on human rights, is apparently not an issue. 
Earlier this week, Gavin got a nice photo op in a Chinese electric vehicle made by the same company he gave that billion dollars of mass money to. He flew to China in a PJ powered by fossil fuels to discuss climate change and drive an electric vehicle made with fossil fuels, but whatever, details, details. This week's trip to China is more than climate change and economic partnerships. It's yet another giant indicator that Gavin Newsom will indeed run for president next year. Last week he went to Israel. This week he's in China meeting with world leaders. That's not something your typical state governor does unless they have bigger aspirations and an agenda. I'm not sure why Newsom would want to appear to court the Chinese given their obvious desire to stomp the USA into the dirt, but I guess Gavin understands the benefit of having friends in high and communist places, that one he likely learned from old Joe. China might be an existential threat to the USA, but if a cozy relationship can get him into that Oval Office, I'm sure Gavin couldn't care less. I'll say it again, keep your eye on Gavin. He's not nearly as dumb as he looks, but every bit as greasy. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.